Hello, welcome to Free Your Children on 1460 AM Christian Radio. I am your host, Tiffany Boyd, and my mission here is to share the truth and love about education. There's a battle raging for the souls of our nation's children, and I hope this ministry will equip you for battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. I want to thank Safe Storage for sponsoring tonight's show. If you have storage needs and you are in the Middle Tennessee area, they have units in Columbia and Mount Pleasant. You can find them at safestoragetn.com and they will be happy to take care of all your storage needs. If you want to find out more information about For Your Children, you can find me at the website foryourchildren.com. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, the Borough Pulse, that's B-O-R-O-P-U-L-S-E dot com, where I'm a monthly contributor. I have an author page there, and there you can access all the articles that I have written to date about education. I also did something that I said I was never going to do, and that was start a TikTok channel. And the reason why I did that is because I think that that particular um, social media platform may give for your children an opportunity to reach individuals who may not be familiar with what this ministry does. So if you're interested, you can find me there as well. And I'm also very excited to gear up a new project that I'm working on, which is a Substack that I have created. That way I can send out monthly newsletters regarding what For Your Children is working on and articles that I feel like need to be need immediate attention. So if you're interested in that, that will be releasing soon. Probably by the time this interview airs, it will be up and running. I'm also very excited about the seminars that I have been hosting all over the state of Tennessee. I have several that have been added to the calendar. You can check my website to find out where upcoming seminars will be held, and I hope that you can make it out to those. I want to remind my listeners that the topics that I cover in these seminars are not just, they don't just apply to Tennessee. The information that I'm covering in these seminars are very important, and it applies to every state in the United States. There's a nationwide initiative And it is to target our nation's children. And we are definitely in a battle for their souls. And so if you're interested in attending a seminar, if you're interested in hosting a seminar, please reach out to me and I can get you that information. If you're interested in sponsoring For Your Children, you can contact me at foryourchildren at gmail.com. Another project that we're working on here at For Your Children, I am getting ready to launch a series of parents that are home educating and they have children with special needs. And I'm very excited about this. I think that this is going to be a be a benefit to so many families. And tonight's guest is an expert with personal experience in this field. He's been on the show before. And so I want to turn it over to Dr. Douglas Petersma. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? And we are so thrilled that you have taken time out of your schedule to join us tonight. Welcome. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, uh, Tiffany, for inviting me on. Uh, I am Dr. Douglas Petersma. I am a uh, education researcher with a focus on home education, and I work for the National Home Education Research Institute, uh, which is an organization that has been conducting research related to home education for more than 30 years, but really specific to today's um, session, today's conversation, 
Uh, I am a homeschool dad. Uh, I have two children. One is a K-12 homeschool graduate, now moved on into a working career. Uh, Second child is a high school uh, level special needs student, and I'll be talking about him specifically today. Uh, But to give a little background on our family, we kind of started as what you might see as a typical homeschool family. Uh, I was active duty military working full time. My wife took care of the uh, main educational uh, focus for our children through their elementary years. And then once I got out of the military, uh, I started to take over some of that responsibility as she moved on into another career opportunity. Uh, But we still uh, are together all the time. Uh, Both my wife and I work from home. Uh, one still left uh, home educating our special needs child, uh, and we're excited to be, you know, part of this, involved in home education in a lot of other realms. But uh, that's mainly the uh, the driving thing right now is our is our son and helping him uh, finish out his high school strong. And so we'll be talking a lot about that today, I'm sure. That's fantastic, and I want to take the time to thank you for your service, Dr. Douglas. Thank you, ma'am. We have Veterans Day coming up. Um, our homeschool family is getting ready to host a Veterans Day luncheon. So make sure, listeners, that you take the time to thank our nation's veterans for their service to our country, past, future, and present. Um, Dr. Douglas, let's start with your son specifically. He is the one that you are homeschooling that has special needs, correct? Yes, ma'am. Could you tell us a little bit about his challenges and what prompted you um, to jump into this world of homeschooling him? Absolutely. Um, So we started off uh, with home education as really a pragmatic choice. Uh, My military career, expectations of frequent moves, the fact that my wife was uh, an elementary school teacher before we met and married kind of just led us to that as a natural decision. And so our oldest was already starting home education uh, by the time we even realized that my son uh, was going to have uh, what we would co- what we would call special needs now. About three years old, he started to have seizures, uh, and it actually started while I was on a deployment over in the Middle East, and I had to be recalled from that deployment because he had a seizure that nearly took his life. Wow. Um, and for a span of about two years after that initial realization that that he had a significant medical issue, uh, we went through various treatments, uh, medications, things of that nature, uh, and he. Uh, did improve uh, in some uh, for some periods of time, but then he didn't in others. And at the end, he was on four anti-epileptic medicines simultaneously, and they were not uh, controlling his seizures. They were simply suppressing the major ones. But some days he would have as many as 50 seizures a day. And so our whole life uh, during that uh, time period was really wrapped around taking care of him, making sure uh, that he was uh, physically safe, uh, never knew when seizures were going to come and tracking them all and the medical challenges that come with that. Uh, and at the end of two years, uh, in, in obviously in consultation with uh, an entire medical team, came to a decision. And the decision was this, that because his seizures were considered intractable, which is not controllable by medicines, uh, we went ahead with what was called a hemispherectomy. And it is a radical brain operation uh, where neurosurgeons go in and they physically remove 
the part of the brain that's causing seizures. Uh, some patients lose up to an entire hemisphere or half their brain. My son didn't lose quite that much, uh, but it still was significant. Uh, functionally and physically, two lobes of the right side of his brain uh, are either no longer there or are not functional, disconnected from the rest of the brain. Um, and that was done in order to hopefully achieve seizure control. Now, we praise God because that surgery actually had the optimum outcome for our son, which is right. he has not had one seizure since that surgery in 2011. Wow. Uh, so now we're, now we're, you know, pushing on uh, 12 years of him being seizure free. Uh, and that is just a praise to the Lord for that. Uh, but the surgery itself left him with some uh, disabilities that he didn't have before the surgery. And we knew this, we had been told that this would be the case. He has what they call hemiparesis, which if you've ever seen a stroke patient that loses muscle control on one side of their body because of a stroke on the opposite side of the brain, he has the same effect, uh, on his body, a lot of motor control loss. Um, and that's something that he will deal with for the remainder of his life. He has right. uh, no fine motor skills on the left side, uh, goes through occupational therapy and physical therapy every week. Um, but the seizures, as well as the brain surgery, also left him with what we call cognitive uh, deficiencies or disabilities. And that is, you know, his learning process is different. So for many uh, children with special needs, uh, they don't process information perhaps as quickly uh, or perhaps in the same manner or with the same kinds of instruction as perhaps the bulk of other students. Uh, and so they, you know, in a government schooling system, they get relegated to a special needs class where perhaps they uh, get some special focused attention. But in our experience, we found that even that uh, wasn't really what it needed to be. Um, and uh, so uh, to, to kind of go through his, the schooling choices we made for him, we actually did start him out in a public school online uh, special ed program. Right. And what we found was then, of course, we thought this as parents, we thought, well, you know, even though my wife was an educator by training and I had not yet pursued any uh, education uh, credentials at that point, mm -hmm. um, we thought, hey, special ed teachers are what special ed students need. Right. Uh, that was our, our going in assumption. And we watched and oversaw the program because he did do the program from home. So right. call it schooling at home uh, at that point in time. Now, but how he old really was didn't... he? How old was so, he when he was, how, what grade was he in when he was doing this? So this started at kindergarten and it okay. went through second or third grade. I don't remember the exact cutoff we made, but okay. it was either second or third. Okay. Um, and so he would interact with his special education teachers, but it was actually very little. So even though he was assigned to a special education class, he would interact with his teacher only a couple times a week. I think only one of those sessions was a one-on-one. -on -one. Other times it was small groups. Uh, that he would interact with his teacher. And the rest of the week, we were facilitating via the curriculum they provided, uh, mm -hmm. the, the math, the reading, and the so on and so forth. Uh, and basically, we're, we're homeschooling, right? right. We're, we're doing the bulk of that instruction. Right. And even though his teachers were great, and I have, I have no qualms against them as far as what they're able to do, but it was just a very minimal amount of interaction that they were able to have with him. Right. And so I started researching special ed. What is it? You know, what are, you know, what are all the, the laws about it and, and mm -hmm. so forth? And what I learned is this special education doesn't have a motivation to help children. And by the way, I'm talking about special education in a school setting, right? They don't have a motivation to help children accomplish the most they can accomplish. They have the motivation to move the children along yep. any amount that they can. 
Mm-hmm. And so for many special ed programs, their metric of success is 1% improvement. If a student tests 1% better than they did last year, they're, they're, they're improving. And as far as that's concerned in the special ed program, they're successful. It really doesn't matter how far they can go. Well, we right. as parents, we could see, we could tell there was more he could do. As a matter of fact, there was already more we were doing with him mm-hmm. uh, and, and seeing that progress. Um, and so we made the decision about second or third grade to pull him out of that program and just to work with him directly. Uh, And part of this came because I was starting to study education and learning about things. Uh, And I like to bring this up because it's not something that everyone thinks about, uh, but there's an academic term called academic engagement time or academic learning time. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain that as this in a classroom, if you've got 30 students and a teacher interacts with each one of those students equally throughout an hour. Each student gets two minutes of academic engagement time. That is the time that the teacher is actively engaged with that student asking a question, getting a response, and so forth. Right. The, rest, the rest of it is passive learning. Yes. And perhaps students do pick up some things in passive learning, but as a metric for academic success, the greater the academic engagement time, the greater the student will achieve in in pretty much any metrics that you measure them on. And so we realized that the sheer amount of time that we could dedicate to him directly was going to make greater progress, despite the fact that his mom nor I had any background in special education as far as training or certifications, mm-hmm. was going to benefit him more. And that proved to be true. Basically, as soon as we started working with him directly, you know, he was getting, you know, full blocks of academic engagement time, 20, 30 minutes at a time, sometimes later on up to an hour. Uh, and even now, uh, he has made so much progress that as a middle high schooler, meaning he's somewhere in the middle of high school, because we don't really care about grades. Right. <laughs> that uh, that he is now doing independent work and he is doing levels of work, which 10 years ago, we honestly thought he would never get to. Wow. Uh, algebra is a good example. Never yeah. thought he would get to algebra. He's doing that now. Uh, independent reading. We doubted at the beginning whether or not he would ever get to the place where he would literally sit down and just independently read on his own. And he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is he doing it exactly at the same level as someone else his age somewhere else? No, but we don't care about that because we're not comparing him right. to other people. We're really focusing on his progress compared to him. And the, the gains have been just incredible. Um, That's so amazing. hopefully I yes. So hopefully I didn't overspeak your first question. No, no. I think that's great. And I think that you really gave a fantastic testimony <laughs> in regards to exactly how important it is to have one-on-one time, learning time with your children. And that is one of the things that homeschooling can provide, whether we have special needs children or what would be considered in the educational realm, regular education, regular ed students. So it's that, like you said, academic engagement that parents are able to focus on the child that they're homeschooling one-on-one. And you're right, in a classroom setting, when you have a large group of students, there's just not enough time. If you have 30 kids, you know, there's not enough time to devote to each individual student. And I think that's, you know, we already know through research that that's one of the, the factors that make homeschooling so successful. So when you decided to pull him out from traditional public school, what type of program or curriculum did you use? And are you still using the same program today? 
So like many homeschoolers, uh, you start with what you're familiar with. Right. Both my, both my wife and I grew up going to small church-run Christian schools. and Both mm-hmm. of us grew up using a curriculum called Accelerated Christian Education, oftentimes referred to simply as ACE. Mm-hmm. This is what we had been using with our daughter. Right. Uh, and she was a, a few years ahead of our son being the older. Uh, and so that's what we started with. So when we uh, switched out of the public online uh, schooling, uh, we got the next grade level of material for our son uh, in ACE and all of the five subjects. And, you know, you call it school in a box or whatever you want to, uh, just trying to keep it keep it consistent. So all of the subjects kind of had the same flow and how they work through the workbooks and so forth. Right. Um, but like many homeschoolers, as I have learned coming through, uh-huh. the longer you homeschool, the more eclectic you tend to be. Absolutely. So even, <laughs> so even though we still use accelerated Christian education as our baseline curriculum, because it's Bible based and we're Christian homeschoolers, we're very focused on the faith aspect, discipleship uh, element of home education. Uh, that's what we want. Uh, but we did find that as we went along, there were a few things, for instance, my son's reading challenges. ACE is actually a good program. Uh, but if you have a reading challenged learner, you have to uh, sort of you have to be flexible with it. For instance, right. is reading. We started off by reading much material to him, mm-hmm. material that perhaps a fourth grader or fifth grader might be able to read themselves. We were reading to him. Right. And then we slowly started to sort of tag team read. I would read a little bit. He would read a little bit back and forth. He would get a little more experience. And then it became paragraphs and then pages. And then eventually he gets to the place where he's reading thoroughly. But especially in those early years, you know, he's not going to sit down and read three pages of science curriculum and then go and answer questions on it. Right. Which is which is how that curriculum is designed. Right. So what I found was, is there were some other ways that we could cover these uh, various subjects still from a Christian worldview. Um, and so, for instance, for science, which, by the way, seems to be one of his um he seems to be very science and math minded. He's very interested in science. Mm-hmm. So engaging his interest was a, a high priority thing for us. Right. We got an entire series of books called Wonders of Creation. Uh-huh. And these aren't even a curriculum. They're not right. a school curriculum. They're subjects of various science topics. They're covered from a Christian worldview. And so we started going through those books and I would read segments of the books and the books are split into basic, intermediate and advanced level information. We did this with both students at the same time. So both my daughter and my son were taking these same science classes at the same time. I would personally make quizzes, one for his level, one for her level. Wasn't too hard, just, you know, some quizzes. Did they retain the information we were talking about? And then we did experiments or observations or some sort of uh, scientific hands-on task that would sort of reinforce what we were talking about. So that was just one subject. We, we, we decided to go that way because that right. was an interest and it was more engaging and it was more hands-on, which is what he needed. And so for those years that we did that, we stepped away from the ACE curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do our own Bible curriculum. We do our own PE. Part of our uh, home-based business here is a martial arts school. Uh, so my son and my daughter actually uh, are leaders in the martial arts school. So they do that for PE. Uh, that actually dovetails into entrepreneurial apprenticeship. My daughter Absolutely. did two full credits mm-hmm. in her high school. My son will probably do the same. He's kind of in the middle of that. Right. Um, so we started to we started to broaden what we use as far as material. Uh-huh. Uh, while we kept the core, uh, so he's still doing his math and his English and his history through ACE. Right. Uh, and then the other things we change up as necessary to engage his interest uh, and to keep him moving forward in, in those subject areas. So we have started with something, we have kept it, but we've also branched out 
uh, to other things as we've gone along to help reinforce and specifically to engage his interest, because I think right. that's huge. Yes, if you can engage a child in their interest, they are going to learn. I mean, as an adult, we choose to learn things either because we need to or because we want to. Right. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes we think, well, children don't learn that way, but they actually do. Yes. Uh, if they need to learn it, they uh, are encouraged to learn it if they feel mm -hmm. they need to learn it. And if they want to learn it, there is 10 times more retention of information than if they sit there and go through material just to take a test, just to prove to me that they learned something from something they read. Absolutely. And I think that the, what you're describing is a good way to facilitate a lifelong love of learning. And honestly, you know, my opinion of homeschooling is that should be our goal. And Absolutely. if we, and if we model that and if we teach our children how to do that, you know, I think you've I'm sure you've read the statistics that talked about how many adults have read a book. It's scary. <laughs> you know, in 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 a year's span or how many adults have read a book since they graduated, you know, high school or whatever. And those statistics are startling, but I think it's because the majority have been conditioned that learning and education is no more than reading material to be able to pass a test. Well, I think one of the good things that my children got to observe, and I know this isn't an option for every family, but just as an example, uh, when all three of us were in a room together, it was our office, library, schoolroom, everything. Right. <laughs> um, I was at one desk, literally doing my postgraduate studies. My daughter was directly behind me. My son was to one of my sides, and we were literally all sitting there learning together. And we did that for years through the entirety of my uh, my postgraduate studies. Right. Uh, but I think families, even if a parent isn't perhaps pursuing uh, formal studies can still model what you talked about, that, yeah. uh, that, that example of lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. uh, and because if a student is interested in something, oftentimes a parent has to either go back and learn, right. uh, go back and relearn or learn for the first time something to help their student learn. And in that case, they do in fact model that lifelong learning. Uh, I saw a post on social media this morning and it makes me laugh every time I see it. I love you so much. I'm going to relearn algebra for yes. you. you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing that for the second time because right. I did that with my daughter. Now I'm doing it with my son. And actually now I find myself enjoying it certainly right. more than I did in high school uh, yep. because I'm able to help them through that relearning and or learning material. So I agree that it, uh, the, the demonstration of lifelong learning is one of the uh, main benefits of home education and correct that their goal that our goal should be to help them become those lifelong learners. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of parents that are, you know, just beginning their journey into homeschooling, a lot of them are afraid that because they think I don't know enough algebra or I don't know enough history to be able to effectively teach my children. But even public school teachers, they do not know everything about every single subject. <laughs> And I think that the value in teaching your children that even if you don't know something, you know, that the kids are learning about, you can sit there as a parent and learn right alongside them. And that's well, I think, one of the I think most parents, I think most parents would be uh, flabbergasted to find out how many teachers get thrown into classrooms to teach subjects that they literally don't have any background in exactly. Um, exactly and especially in time especially in times with teacher shortages sometimes yes. they are literally just grabbing people to stand in a room to present material that they may or may not have ever even prepared oh, let yeah. alone studied and became credentialed on but I love talking about what I call parental qualifications for uh -huh. home education and this goes across the board for home education but I think for special for 
families with special needs students, this becomes a critical thing. Uh, for instance, I made the assumption at the beginning of my son's education, he needs a special education teacher. Mm-hmm. First of all, I completely have gone away from that and disagree with it. And as a matter right. of fact, I know that even your neurotypical students, your non-special needs students, they don't need a parent with teacher qualification either right. because the qualifications in my mind, the most important qualification is the teacher is going to accomplish the most with the student. If that teacher knows the student the best and there is nobody, there is no dedicated, honest, hardworking teacher that can ever get to know your children in one school year, the way a parent does just naturally by existing around them, by bringing them into the home, by teaching them their, their, their fundamental things that they learn as, as an infant and a toddler. No teacher is ever going to know that child as well as the parent does. And so the parent is in that unique position, even without any background or training in education or special education or anything, they are going to be able to see uh, and see the needs, see the mm-hmm. interest see the gaps if you want to call them that although that's kind of a kind of a kind of a weird thing to 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 talk about but you know to see where the needs are right for that student to move forward a parent is going to see those in a very natural way mm-hmm. not not because they administered a test and came up with the results of the test but because they literally see the child every day right. know the child's behavior know their uh, abilities and their needs the, mm-hmm. the deficits that they may have and they're going to be able to tailor uh, the instruction that they give to that child in a way that's going to help the child in a much greater way than a teacher who has to take six months to get to know a child and maybe the three months at the end of the school year can do something useful with them. Right. And then find the time to customize, um, you know, learning plans for each individual student is just not going to happen in a traditional classroom. I like to, I like to simply say it's not pragmatic. It really right. isn't. It's <laughs> right. just, it's, and it's not that they don't want to, and it's not right. that they don't care. It's that it really just doesn't work. And I no. like to call these, I, I, I have a phrase that I've used several times and I call them educationally ineffective schooling paradigms. And those mm-hmm. are those things that exist simply because school is school right? that totally have nothing to do with education. And if you can remove those out of the child's education and learning environment, there is so much more that can be accomplished. It's why homeschoolers don't need to homeschool for eight hours a day, mm-hmm. uh, because all of those nuanced things that relate to schooling that we absolutely don't need to deal with, we take those out and it just mm-hmm. creates space to do what we need to do and for the children to flourish even more. Amen. Tell our listeners, what have been some of the challenges that you faced homeschooling special, a special needs child? I would say this, the biggest challenge uh, that we as a family have faced, and even myself as the direct educator for my son, is really coming overcoming our own background mm-hmm. and thought processes <laughs> yes. in schooling. I have, I have come to the place, and I, I, I probably fail at this more than, than I wish I would, but I have come to the place where I even try not to say homeschooling. Right. Or home school. Now, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people use that term. I don't nobody's I don't think anything bad of anybody who does. But honestly, what I want to take out is schooling. Right. I want to take anything that relates to school, the school ish. Uh, there was an author that called them the ineffective schoolish ways uh-huh. <laughs> of, of, of institutional schooling. And I want to take as many of those out. So it's home education. I want to take everything out. 
that has to do with schooling. So what are some of those things that kind of we get our brain wrapped around that mm-hmm. hold us back? And I will tell you, one of the first things is this, it's grade levels. Yes. Grade levels is a school thing. Grade mm-hmm. levels is something that is pragmatic for schools to chop students up into these small groups and to move them from step one to step two to step 12 mm-hmm. and then graduate them. And honestly, my son has, ever since we started working with him directly, he has never done all of his curriculum at one grade level at one time, right. ever. And he still does it. Mm-hmm. And he's doing two to three different grade levels of work because in one subject, he's a little further ahead. And then another right. subject, we need to spend a little more time in. Mm-hmm. So kind of getting out of that whole grade level mindset is probably one of the most liberating things to do, but it's hard. It's yeah. hard for those of us <laughs> who have literally grown up in school. And even though I went to a Christian school, we still had grades. We still, you know, we still broke it down into those same categories, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why uh, as great as Christian schools are, I think very oftentimes they copy over some of these ineffective means Mm -hmm. that the public schooling system uses. And it's not really to the benefit of the children. So I think for me, overcoming those, uh, those, mindset that I had of schooling and mm-hmm. how it should progress, uh, but also overcoming my own expectations. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I had to realize is I can't set my expectations for my son. For instance, I couldn't have told you five years ago that I want my son to finish XYZ curriculum before he graduates uh, high school, because honestly, I didn't know where he was going to be. And I didn't know how his interests were going to influence that. And when I take a step back from what I want my son to accomplish, And I really start to focus on, well, what does God, what has God given my son as special skills, as special interests, as his driving motivators, which I honestly believe are God given. Right. Then I can capitalize on those. And perhaps there are things that I can actually say, you know what? The world may say your child needs this to graduate from high school, but I can say this, he doesn't need that. And we're going to move on to something that I know he's going to apply and that I know he's going to absorb because of his interest, because of what God has given him. And so I think those are the biggest challenges. It's not really the challenges with him. Although, yes, we've had to learn to adapt. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we teach certain subjects? Uh, My son is definitely more hands on than he is uh, literature focused in his learning. So I'm not going to give him a big, thick book to read on a subject. I'm going to I would rather do experiments and hands on. We're looking to that for geometry next year. You know, instead of Mm -hmm. having him sit down and do you know, 500 geometric proofs, we're going to figure out ways to build and construct and physically use geometry so that it literally connects with his mind. Cause I know that's how he's going to absorb that uh, particular type of instruction. So yes, we have uh, had to uh, a challenge in, in perhaps teaching him this or that small mm-hmm. things, but the mm-hmm. greatest challenge has been on us as parents to overcome <laughs> our own mindsets about what we need to do for him. I can definitely relate to that. And I'm sure you have seen this circulating around. It it was, I think, a meme that someone had created that said, what if God wanted you to homeschool because of the work that he wanted to do in you? And that has definitely, that's definitely been um, the case concerning our family. Um, As a former public school teacher, you can imagine the preconceived ideas that I had about education (laughs) when I started um, homeschooling our, our children. And it was more work that I had to do because I had to unlearn everything that I had been taught about education. And that's a lifelong process. Um, I have heard that from many people. Yes. Yes. And so I think that, that parents need to realize, and, and I often tell families, if your children have been 
in the public school system, even if they haven't, if you're a product of the public school system and you weren't homeschooled yourself, take the time to de-school and really Absolutely. let go. Yes, really let go of those preconceived um, notions that you have about education. Tell us, were there any resources that you found that were really beneficial for your family as you um, have walked through this home education journey? Absolutely. And I will say this, there are a number of communities, most of them are social media based communities, where you can collaborate with other homeschool families, specifically if you have and are interested in collaborating with families that have special needs. Um, there is an organization run by a lady named Peggy Ployer, uh, and it's uh, a special needs organization. You can find it online. Um, and that organization, as well as community groups that focus on special needs mm -hmm. to get into those, to engage with people, because I'll tell families with special needs students this all the time. There is no one way that covers all special needs right. to homeschool, but there are ideas out there. And when I do seminars at uh, homeschool conventions, which I've done before, mm -hmm. I really just simply try to draw out ideas. Right. Let's, let's, let's start brainstorming and, you know, you throw it up on a whiteboard and you start uh, marking out ideas for what each family has used mm -hmm. and every family is not going to say, Oh yeah, I want to do what you do. Right. But every family can say, I like that idea mm -hmm. or I like this idea over here. And what happens is each family ends up finding those sort of niche ways to engage their children to the point where they create something that is entirely unique. It looks nothing like any other family's organization, but those ideas oftentimes can come from other families. So I love the social media conversations where someone says, my child is having a difficulty in this very specific aspect of reading. Perhaps it's, you know, reading over certain uh, letter forms or whatever it happens to be. And 10 people will throw out ideas of what they've done to help their child in that very same situation. Well, that family only needs perhaps one or two of those ideas, mm -hmm. maybe just one. And right. that's the benefit of being in that community. So now many state homeschool support organizations are coming up with special needs focused uh, sub cells, if you will, or subgroups uh, that they connect families with each other. There are various ones that are on social media. Uh, and then, of course, you know, just looking at the literature and the resource, which is something I do as a researcher, uh, will show you that, yes, as a parent, you can come up with something unique because it's going to take that. It takes that unique approach, the flexibility that homeschooling gives you in mm -hmm. order to tailor that approach just specifically for your child. And sometimes it even varies within a family. I mean, right. I've got a family, neurotypical child, special needs child, and the approaches to both of them are not the same, not even right. on the same subjects very often. Uh, okay. So that's a learning process for the parent as well. Uh, but I think the parents are uniquely positioned for that because they can inject exactly what they need to to help their child because they know their child so well. Right. Wonderful words of wisdom from Dr. Douglas Petersma. Where can our listeners find you, Dr. Douglas? So I am on a couple of social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And uh, the tag is at Dr. Douglas Petersma, except on Twitter, where that's a little too long. So I had to cut it down to Doug instead of Douglas. Mm -hmm. So at Dr. Doug Petersma. Uh, and then, of course, I uh, always would put a plug in for the National Home Education Research Institute, uh, which is an organization that I work for, but it is a nonprofit. Uh, run by Dr. Brian Ray, and it is the premier and longest-running organization that provides uh, home education, research, publishing, 
um, that exist today. So those are those are different ways that you can reach out to me. Um, and uh, I've got enough a unique enough last name that if you just search for me, you can find me on pretty much any uh, anywhere that I'm located. And I will have all that linked as well so that our listeners can find you. I want to take the time to thank Safe Storage again for sponsoring tonight's show. You can find them at safestoragetn.com. And I want to leave with you with this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. First Peter 2, 9. We love you here at WXRQ, but remember, Jesus loves you so much more. Good night and God bless.